Our scripture lesson today comes from Romans chapter 12, um, and you will hear me say from time to time um, that our lives, it is our pleasing and acceptable worship unto God. So let's dig in together. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. God is great and worthy to be praised. Amen? God is great and worthy to be praised. But how do we do this? Uh, this from this time between now and Easter, uh, roughly 40 days, we call it Lent, thus the purple. Um, then we try to figure out how do we prepare ourselves again for the coming of Jesus into our lives. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here. And today, we're going to talk about how you and I can become a living hallelujah. Our whole life an offering to God. Not just parts of it, not just pieces of it, but all of it. And over time, over Christian history, there have been five foundational practices. Uh, today, we're going to look at the first of those, uh, which is worship and prayer. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out, and we'll begin uh, looking at that. And my hope and my prayer is that as you connect with God here today, you'll know more and more about how to become closer and closer uh, as a living sacrifice, a living hallelujah. So Lent, this time between uh, Ash Wednesday, which was this last Wednesday, um, and uh, Easter, um, we had our Ash Wednesday service here on Wednesday. It was a wonderful time, got to see lots of folks, and, and we basically gave an overview of the entire sermon series. So if you weren't able to be here and you'd kind of like to know where we're going, that's um, uh, available for you on our podcast. So Lent is the time set apart to help us close the gap between our spiritual lives as they really are and our spiritual lives as we hope them to be. So here's the reality for all of us. Um, we are here and we know we have this, this thing inside of us that thinks, you know, I really think that I want to be here or God's calling me to be here, uh, or here. And from, but our natural inclination is really for ease of life. Um, I have a good friend. He says this, he goes, Mark, never underestimate the power of laziness. 
And he's right. It takes some effort to close that gap. And really, uh, over the next five weeks, that's what we're trying to do, is to say to God, help us close the gap. Show us how to become closer and closer to you. And the way God has always done it, whether it's been the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, God in community uh, with God's self. God comes to his children in the garden and walks in the garden and looks for them and searches for them. Jesus walks along the seashore and says, come, follow me. Come with me. Come be a part of my life and allow me to be a part of your life. God comes and invites us to walk with God. But how do we do that? Well, the first thing is, um, and the, the phrase we use in church is preaching to the choir. It seems kind of silly that I should be talking to you about worship since you're here at worship. So clearly you are the people who get this at some level. Uh, but hopefully we can close that gap even more today. So worship, friends, is not something we watch, uh, except for those of you online at the moment, if you're sick or out of town. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? We, we need to be here together. We need one another. We need the fellowship. What happens in the parking lot doesn't stay in the parking lot. We're not Vegas, right? What happens in the parking lot overflows into the child check-in, overflows into the nursery, overflows into the donuts, overflows into the coffee, overflows into the bulletin, overflows into the first song or the gathering. We do have a gathering and a first song. We do. It starts at 9.15. But anyway, um, I don't notice if you're late. I notice. But anyway, right? It all, it all works together, right? Where we visit with one another. We pray for one. I, I had a member ask me today, uh, right before service, she asked me, she said, well, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? It, it really touched me. It moved me. And now I had a long list. And so I know that I'm being prayed for specifically, and I, I know the person's face. I know their name. I know. I, I'm stronger because I'm lifted up by the community. You are stronger because you're lifted up by your community. So it's not something we watch, and it's not something even that we just attend. You know, as a pastor, I grew up in a pastor's home, and we would often um, go to church. I mean, like always, go to church when we were on vacation. I hated it because I didn't really know those people. It was a little awkward. I'd have to go to my grandma's church, and um, you know, I'd go have to go to Sunday school uh, with you know other fourth graders that I'd never met. And I'm this other guy from Oklahoma, which is like a whole other world from Southern Alabama. And you know, and then there there we were, and and I found myself if I wasn't careful uh, because I'd grown up in church my whole life. That particularly when I went to some other place, or even when my father was preaching, I would have this sort of spirit of critique. And we would get in the car and we would be like, well, I think, I think it's Pontius Pilate, not Pontius Pilate. <laughs> you know, we would just kind of like, well, we really know how it should go. But you know what I find is that when I'm in that space where I'm in a spirit of critique about how they're doing it. I get a bunch of nothing for myself, and I get further from God, not closer. So when I find myself in those places where I think I know, and they only think they know how to do it, I find myself isolated and alone and uh, more depressed and, and not doing very well. But if I find myself in those spaces where I come early and I pray for the preachers and the prompters and 
um, for God to speak to me and for God to bless others and, and to watch the community and to pray for the people as they come for communion and to watch those who are struggling and those who are joyful, those who are having babies and those who are having losses. When I look in the bulletin and I, and I see the things going on in the life of the church and I'm able to pray for those and come alongside what's going on, I find myself deeply connected to what's going on. Does this make sense? Worship is something not that we watch or that we attend. Worship is something that we do. Say that with me. Worship is something that we do. You might even say worship is something that we are. Our whole life, our ordinary life, uh, when we wake up in the morning and, and what we do through our day, all of that is our pleasing and acceptable worship unto God, according to Romans 12. This is what the early church believed. And so it says it like this in the NRSV. It says, I, Paul is writing this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. That's what worship is. Do not be conformed to this world, no, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. You actually learn how to discern the will of God by your worship. What is good and acceptable and perfect? If you want to get better at knowing what God has for you in your life, worship. So Christians are to live as belonging to heaven, to God, not to this present world. And so, so many of the things that we worry about, where we live, what we make, what we wear, all of these things, Jesus says, what? what? Why are you worried about those things? People who don't even know me worry about those things. You are to be alongside me in the things that matter forever. Love lasts forever. And so we are to live as people who belong to heaven, not of this world, in it but not of it, to this present world. And so we care about the things that Jesus cares about. And so we read our Bibles. We're going to learn more about that next week as we go to study. And as we study, we learn more and more about what God wants to bring God's heaven to earth. Now, here's the thing. This is the great thing about God. Um, you may already know this, but I just think it's so cool. When you actually do what God asks you to do, more often than not, your life gets a lot better. People who are actively engaged in churches have better physical health, better mental health, and they live longer. Do you know that? Families that worship together have lower divorce rates. People are, are better physically, better mentally. They live longer. And you know part of it is simply the power of community, the power of fellowship, the power of checking on one another. Some people stay alive because they normally sit on the third row on the left, and when they don't show up, somebody goes, where was that person on the third row on the left? And they say, I don't know. Well, we better call them. Well, who's got their number? Well, none of us. We better call the church. And they look it up in Servant Keeper, and they say, well, what's so-and-so's number? You know that the lady with the two kids that sits on the third row on the left? We're like, well, we got a lot of those. Well, yeah, we look it up and we call and we say, well, what's going on? They're, oh, she's in the hospital. Oh. Well, how can we pray for you? What do your kids need? What's going on in your life? And by the simple fact of having the ritual, the routine, the practice, the habit of worship, we take care of each other better. And that's hard to do online. But you notice it here. You notice it here. It makes a big difference. It's a blessing to those of you who come. It's also a blessing to the families of those of you who come. You see, worship connects us with God and also connects us with others. 
connects us with God and others as we come together. We offer our lives. We offer our gifts. We offer who we really are one to another. So again, Paul says to the early church, it's by grace given to me that I say to everyone among you, we don't think too highly of ourselves, no. But we think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in, read it with me, one body we have many members, right? Not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. We need to be here. We need to get together because some of us are only noses. We can only smell stuff. We can't do anything else. We can smell it like, that doesn't smell right. We need some hands to go put out the fire, right? We need some feet to get us to the fire. And some of you are just feet people. You're really fast, but you couldn't smell a fire to save your life. You know, take somebody else to go like, you better go put that out. And they're like, what? Something's burning? I don't know. Right? It, it takes all of these pieces of the body to come together. And he says that individually, we are members of one another. I need you. You need me. You need the person across the way in this very place. We all have gifts, each and every one of us. They're different. According to the grace given to us, some have prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, generosity, uh, encouragement, the leader in diligence, compassionate, cheerfulness. All of these things exist right here in this very place. And we need each other. We can't do it alone. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to be dependent on community, on God, on God's body. And you say, well, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. That's true. I mean, there are times that we all do okay. But, um, you know, most of the time, my, my phone's okay. Except when it's not. You know, I'll, this is my, my ritual. This is my habit. Before I go to bed, uh, I steal Chantel's charger in the middle room. And I plug in my phone because it's a really good, reliable charger. And then I wake up and my phone is charged. I come to work. And I don't worry about my phone. And I do all my work uh, almost exclusively on my phone. And um, at the end of the day, I plug it back in. Is that, isn't that what you do? Do, do you all do that? Yeah, it's good. I love those little phones. It's amazing. But you know, every once in a while, when my kids are home, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go to grab my phone. And they have unplugged it. And plugged in their phone. Because the rule in our house, which I hate, is if you have less charge than the person using the charger, you get to use the charger. <laughs> my boys always have less charge than I have because I keep my phone charged every night. And so then I go to work. And you could say, well, just bring your charger to work. I don't do that. I have a routine. So I go to work with my 3% charge. Praying to the Lord to keep it charged all day, which does not happen. Right? And then I got a bunch of nothing or, you know, your day's off. Because here's the thing. Our souls, like our phones, need recharging. And is it true that sometimes your soul is absolutely great? Yes, it is. That is absolutely true. But I would submit to you that there are days in my life, maybe days in your life, you just wake up and you don't know that your soul's not charged until it's kind of too late. And you're like, oh, man. This just isn't working. This isn't working. I need to recharge. Friends, this every seven-day peace that God has brought into our life is meant for your good. It's meant for your growth. It's also meant for the growth and good of others. So Paul says this. He says, let love be genuine. 
Here, as we gather, we learn to hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We love one another with mutual affection. We outdo one another in showing honor. We don't lack in zeal. We're ardent in spirit. We serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering. And we always have folks suffering. There's, there's not a day in our church that somebody's not suffering. We persevere in prayer. We contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers, whoever shows up. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. How are y'all doing with that? I find that on my own, I can't do that. I know I'm supposed to. I know that's what's possible in the kingdom. I know when God is fully living in me, I can do what Jesus does when he celebrates and blesses how good God is in his life, his obedience to the Father, and he's able to actually forgive those around him. I can't do that on my own. As I just like, oh yeah, that guy's terrible. You know, the, the people that steal from me or hurt me or lie to me or do these things. Oh, I'm going to go bless them. Not on your life, I'm not. Not without you. Not without meeting. Not without being recharged. There's no way I can do that in my mortal strength. And I don't think you can either. Something we do here, we get recharged so that we can actually live this out. We go out and we bless people, even those people online. We bless them. We don't curse them. We don't engage in the nonsense. We lift them up and ask God's best for them. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. We're not haughty. We associate with the lowly. We don't claim to be wiser than we are. We don't repay anyone for evil. We take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And then read it with me. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I would submit to you that I'm I'm not sure anybody can do that if you don't have a community surrounding you, supporting you, praying for you to be able to pull that off. That's That's a big ask, isn't it? To live peaceably with everyone in a country that's so divided. So, Here's, here's the corrective. One day in seven, begin your week with God's people to sing God's praises. It changes you. It changes your chemical makeup to pray. That changes you. Fellowship with one another in community. That changes you. Receive grace at the table here at the Lord's table. Some people wonder, why do we do this every week? Because I'll tell you, it's the one thing that I can't mess up. We can't mess that up. God is coming to you directly. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the elements are blessed. And they're just given to you. However you come. The message may be off. The music may be off. We we hope it's not. It's not often. But even if it is, God shows up in communion. And he's here for you. And you offer your gifts back to God, which is something we all need to do. And in this rhythm of life, we find healing. We find hope. We find grace in our times of need. But it's in the rhythm I got any car people in the house? You know when your car's off because of the rhythm, don't you? You get a spark plug just a little off, you're like, oh, hold on. Right? It's about the rhythm and the way that it all works together. And we become attuned to when that's off. And worship is a part of that. And I think the only way that we can live out Romans, the only way that we have any hope, of not being overcome by evil in the world, but overcoming evil with good is with God and one another. I don't think we stand a chance otherwise. I really don't. It takes the people of God gathered in God's name, empowered by God's name to be recharged to bring heaven to earth. It's something we desperately need.
And Reverend Adam Hamilton, who wrote the, the book and the series called The Walk, he says it like this. He says, your soul needs worship. You were created for worship. And he's exactly right. We are. That's how we're made. God's creation is a reflection of God's goodness. All of creation. It says that if we won't praise God, even the rocks will cry out. And the Psalms, it talks about the, the trees dancing before the Lord. And for me, personally, when I'm in nature, I sense God's presence. This was a terrible ice storm uh, that I was very upset about because when we have ice storms, not a lot of people come to church. They don't like it. And so I was like, God, you know, I was kind of grumping at it. I always get a little upset with Jesus when he has bad weather on Sundays. I'm like, you got six other days. Come on, it's your day. Anyway, he doesn't, I don't know that he listens to me. But, I mean, he listens, but it doesn't change much. So I went in my backyard, and I was like, okay, God, I'm grumping at God. And he's like, look, look at this. Look what I can do with an ice storm. It's just some old grass on the back fence. But it's kind of cool looking at sunset with the ice on it. So I snapped a picture. And the thing is, have you, have you ever heard, you know, a mountaintop experience? Have you heard that phrase, have a mountaintop experience? Well, there's a reason that they call it a mountaintop experience. This is me and my son Noah, uh, last spring break, uh, and Taos, groovy jackets, right? And so we, the, the thing is, there is something real about the mountaintop experience, it, where, where you look down on clouds, or you look down and see helicopters below you. It, it's amazing. And, and when I'm in these kind of majestic spaces, I can't help, but there's something in me that just wants to say, you know, thank you, God. And all across America... Like at the Grand Canyon, right? What God has done can take your breath away. I love Cheryl McLean's photography. She's a member of our church here. I have this print in my office uh, here at the church. I mean, just will you lower the, the lights for us so we can, can see these? They're just, uh, just amazing what the Lord has done. Just a little bit of water, a little bit of time. And I love thinking how deep and how wide is the love of God. The same God who made the Grand Canyon made you, made me. I also love the sound of the waves rolling onto shore and thinking about, that looks nice about now, doesn't it? How Jesus walked along the shore, called his first disciples, and on other occasions preached from the water's edge to those who had gathered to hear God himself speak to whomever would listen. And all around the world, God is good. That's bore, bore, by the way. I've not been, but I'm planning on it before I die. That is on my bucket list now. God is good, and the Holy Spirit is calling to us. I, mean, I think I could feel close to God there. Right? From the mountains above to the fertile valleys of growth below, God is with us. And you walk in those places, and you think, yep, God's there. And then there are the heavens themselves. Go in your backyard, go out someplace where there's not any light pollution. What you're seeing is called M51. This is the Whirlpool Galaxy. It is nearly 37 million light years from Earth. Let's zoom in a little bit. These photos were taken by our own Hayden Herzberger. He's 19, 19 years old. He's a student at OU. His family's here on the second row. And uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, you're, wait. Hayden tells me 
the fact that he can get this level of detail at that distance, 37 million light years away, is a testament to the sheer size and grandiosity of our galaxy. M51 is two galaxies in the midst of a collision, and the galaxy appears near the Big Dipper in the sky. And it's composed of billions of stars and planets. Friends, that's the God that loves you. So when I lay down on the ground in the dark of night and I look up at all that God has made, in the heavens and the earth, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness and the greatness and the vastness of God. Aren't you? How good he is. How great he is. He can take care of everything that you need. If he can do this, what are you worried about? And to think that this God loves me, this God loves you, knows every hair on your head and takes care of me and my family and wants to have a relationship with us. I mean, all I can say is, wow. If I can speak at all, that's worship. You bring the lights up. That's amazing. So that's worship. But we also have prayer. They go hand in hand. Worship something we do together. Prayer is something we can do together. But we can also do um, individually. So in prayer, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says. Give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's at work, friends. So the most essential dimension of prayer is thank you. It's just in us. When we see the heavens and the earth, when we see all that God has done for us, there's something that, that's in us that we need to say thank you. It helps us. Grateful people are blessed people. But I find that the most common prayer is help. Isn't it? I mean, that's the first prayer we, we learn. Whether you're Christian or not, we all have this thing in us like, help! And, and I just want you to know that's okay. Because if, if you're a parent and your little one says help, you help because you love them. Not because of the eloquence of the prayer. Brother David uh, Stendhal Rast has it right. He says, it's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. That's right. So here's what we found over studies. People who write down five things that they're grateful for each week scored 25% higher in happiness than those who didn't. I've preached on gratitude um, for 20 years, on thankfulness. God asks of it because it's good for us. It helps us. Set our minds on things above, not on things of earth. On how good God is. So, very practically, if you would like to pray, if you'd like to start to pray, the, the ancient tradition of the church is this. I like to use Acts because our name is Acts 2, right? Out of the book of the Bible. It's super easy to remember. Uh, they're big, highfalutin words, but it makes sense. So the first is A, it's adoration, right? God, you are so big. Look at what you do. You're so wonderful. You're so compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You see this all the way through the scriptures. Adoration. Second is confession. Friends, an honest prayer is the prayer that works. There's no sense in pretending with God. Confession. We just need to be honest with God. This is where I am. This is what's going on. No pretending. This really is what's going on with me. And allow the Lord to meet us where we really are. Because he's not going to meet us where we're not. Right? Got to meet you where you are. And then, of course, that leads us to Thanksgiving. We simply say thank you. And then we ask supplication. So if you've been struggling how to pray, this is an easy one to remember. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Say it with me. 
Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Super easy. Now, those are big words for little ones. So for little ones, we can do it like this. Uh, if you'll take your hands and uh, put them like you're praying, right? So what's, what is closest to you now? Your thumb, right. So look at your thumb and pray for those who are closest to you. I know it's hard to take notes and have your hands at the same time. I know it's tough. I'm sorry. Right? So if you have your hands together, what's the next one? It's your pointer. For, for you pray for those next closest to you. So your thumb, you're praying for maybe mom and dad, uh, brother, sister, children. You know, those that kind of come easily um, to your mind. But the next might be, you know, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, coworkers, people who are family, you know, people that you're, you're really close to, but um, they're just not, they're maybe not in your home, right? And then you've got your tallest finger or your middle finger. Um, and be careful with this um, because that's for those in leadership above us. We want you to pray for them, bless them, particularly if you've been persecuted or you, or you feel hurt by that. We, we are to pray for leadership regardless of who's in power. We are to pray for leadership around the world, not just our own leaders, but leaders in every place to bring justice and mercy and righteousness to the earth, what God wants done. And then you know, what's next? Your ring finger, right? You know what's interesting about that finger is it's your weakest finger. It's by far the weakest finger. And so it reminds us to pray for those who are weak, those who are hurting, those who are suffering injustice, those who are hungry, those who don't have enough to eat or they don't have medical care, those who are dying because of the world's selfishness. And then it's absolutely good and right to pray for yourself, your little pinky. You don't have to forget yourself. Praying for yourself is good. But it needs to be in a larger context. And so we can pray this prayer. We can teach a four-year-old this prayer. Easy. Easy. Um, another prayer that you can do um, today. It's super easy. And you can try this with me right now. You simply put your hands down. And you ask the Lord to release everything that he doesn't want in your life. Invite him to come in. Let it pour out all the stress, all the negativity, all the anxiety. Everything that's in your life. Arguments. All the stuff that drains you. You just... You just let it come through your head, down your shoulders, down your arms, and out your fingers. Just let it go. Now you've got that song in your head. I'm so sorry. Right? Right? And then you turn them over into the unknown. I'm doubly sorry for those of you who know the reference. And you just allow the Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me up all those places that are now empty, all those places that are dark, bring light, all those places that are hurting, bring healing. Fill me up, Lord. Make me whole. That's a great prayer. Hands down, hands up, just that simple. You can pray that anytime, any place. Here's the thing all of this is for your good. A study of 186 patients with stage B heart failure showed that those who kept a gratitude journal were less depressed. Simply by writing down things they were grateful for. They slept better. They had improved heart-related markers in the bloodstream compared to the patients who didn't. Just that simple. When you're grateful, you have a better life. So here are your action steps. Uh, because that's true, I want you to write down one thing that you're grateful for each day. You might keep a little notepad by your bed or however you want to do it. Um, but just, just write it down. You'll feel better. You'll be grateful. Write a thank you note. And people love getting thank you notes. I love getting thank you notes. It's great. So here's the other thing about prayer. I really do want to invite you to pray five times a day. It's not hard. This morning when I get up, 
I say, good morning, Lord. I'm looking forward to the day with you. Thank you for this day. I have a little devotional guide by my chair, and, and I'll read that. It doesn't take long, maybe two to five minutes, and um, great. Then I have a meal. I say, thank you for the meal. It doesn't matter whether we're out or whether we're in or whether it's a power bar or whatever it is. I just say, thank you. I mean, thanks for providing the meal. And so for me, that's normally about three times a day. And then before I hit bedtime. Now, I don't know what it is, and, and this will be a, like a whole other sermon for another time, but it helps me to kneel by my bed. It just does. It helps me to get on my knees and to say thank you to God for the whole day. And sometimes to ask God, like, man, that was a beating of a day. Help me sleep. You know, thank you for this. Help me understand that. What's going on with this? And then I leave it with him so that I don't bring it to bed. And Chantel can tell you, I am a great sleeper once I've given my concerns to the Lord. But I, it helps me. I've got to give it to him. So I invite you to do that. Uh, try it this Lent. Develop that habit. And then, of course, you're doing that right now. Invite others to do this with you. Worship with others every seven days. Really, really do that. Uh, that rhythm will help you. And if you're traveling, as a lot of folks will over spring break, I do encourage you to go to worship. But do it better than I do. Don't critique them. Bless them. Wouldn't it be great if you showed up at some other church someplace and they said, you remember that Sunday where that person from Oklahoma just came and it was just good that day. They blessed us. They prayed for us. It just, there was just something better about it today. Because those people from Oklahoma came to bless us. Because that's who we are as children of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we read it with me. Help me see the beauty of this world you have given us. Help me notice the blessings all around. Help me remember that you are God and I am not. Help me trust you to see me through all things, including the painful times. Help me remember that you bring good out of the bad and light to the darkness. Grant me a grateful heart. Help me and all of us together to be a living hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, with confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.